liver. <laughs> I met him earlier. <laughs> and I know a lot of you this morning already, I've forgotten all of your names, except for Alexa. Alexa, I got your name down cold, so that's good. Um, can I just um, offer a word of prayer and scripture? One second. I'm going to pray Psalm 145. So if we could bow our heads and let's, let's pray the scripture together. Father God, we will extol you because you're our God and you're our King. We will come and bless your name forever and ever. Every day, we will bless you. And we will praise your name forever and ever because great, great you are, Lord. And you're highly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. But this morning, your glorious splendor of your majesty on your wonderful works, we will meditate. We will speak of the power of your awesome acts. We will tell of your greatness. We shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness. And we will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Lord, you are so gracious. You are so merciful. Thank you for being slow to anger and, and great in loving kindness. You are so good to all of us. And your mercies, you're over all of your works. And so all your works shall give thanks to you, Lord. And your godly ones, we shall bless you. We shall speak together of the glory of your kingdom. And we'll talk of your power. We want to make known to the world around us of your mighty acts and, and the glory of your majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom, that's an everlasting kingdom, your dominion that endures throughout all generations. Lord, you sustain all of us who fail and who fall. And you raise us up, all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, God. And you give to us the food that we need in due time. You open up your hand and you satisfy the desires of all things that we need. You are righteous in all your ways. You are kind in all your deeds. You are near to all who call upon you, to all who call upon you in truth. You will fulfill the desires of all of us who fear you. And you will hear our cries, and you will save us. Lord, you keep all of us in your love. So our mouths this morning will speak the praise of the Lord, and all our flesh will bless your holy name forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. There it is, the pop version of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. From the birds. There you go. We are stuck in this world of time. And while time at times seems random, I believe that time has a distinct purpose to it, and this moment, you're here for a divine reason. God has you here. And those of you watching online or those of you watching the video later, uh, this is a moment that God wants to speak to you from his word. And so as we come to God's word, let's pray together that he would speak and that he would guide us and lead us as we uh, explore his word together. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord. For all that you've made, and you've made us to enjoy this world, you've placed us into this cycle of seasons, 
and of minutes and seconds and hours, which we call days and weeks, and that you desire to accomplish your purpose in and through our time-constrained lives. In this moment, Lord, I pray you would speak to every heart here and where your Holy Spirit use your, your word to minister and to guide us to continue to move up and out in this new life in Jesus Christ that we have. And so we commit this time in the word to you. Guide this preacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Time. Timing is everything in life. You, you know that. Right now, outside my house is fields of canola and flax. And Timing was essential for the men and women that farmed those particular sections of land. They watched the stalk on the flax growing one night. At least I were walking, and the farmer drove by, and I said, well, Tom, how does it look? And he said, well, it's looking a little green on the bottom still. And so it was another week, and then he came by and began to swath that, that flax, and it lay in, in swaths for a good week, and then he came by with the combine this week and ripped through that field, and it's all about timing for the farmer and for the, for the rancher as he hits harvest season. For those of you that cook, you know that timing is critical. A gourmet meal and a burnt offering are only minutes apart. You know that. It's timing is everything. If you play the stock market and you're in business, you know that you buy low and you sell high. And that's all a matter of timing. And you see the pictures. I always am amazed those people that work down in the you know, stock exchange. There they are. They're yelling. They're screaming. They're on their phones. And, of course, now that's, that's all you know, electronic. It's not, not as crazy. But still, you're always on edge. Is it time to sell? Is it time to buy? Is it time to sell? It's timing is critical in sports. Uh, in certain sports, there's a term called the one-timer, right? It's, it's a one-time opportunity to score when you receive a pass and you just have one chance. If you're in hockey, it's just you got to shoot it. If you're in soccer, you got to kick it and that's it. Timing is everything. You know, we're watching baseball right now and, uh, you know, it's half an inch is the difference between a strikeout and a home run. And it's all about timing. Timing. What should I do next? How should I spend my time? And you've got a sheet on paper on your, on your chair. Don't look at that now. We're going to look at it in a moment. But I just, you know, we're going to follow up with that at, at the end of, of this sermon. But the book of Ecclesiastes, 3,000 years ago, talks about timing. And he says in chapter 3, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes, this 3,000-year-old book, one of the wisest men that ever lived, who experienced everything, tried everything. In chapter 2, he, he gave us his portfolio of, here's all the things I've tried. And then chapter 3, he kind of switches gears, and he says, look, there is an occasion for everything, a time for every activity under heaven. Timing is everything. And there is the appropriate time for everything that you will do in life. What he's saying here is that you have enough time to do all that God has created you to do. That if you feel like you don't have enough time, it's not God's fault, it's your fault. There is an occasion for everything, a time for every activity under heaven. Shakespeare said, I wasted time. Now time doth waste me. <laughs> time for everything. And it goes through this list. It, it, 28 times he'll mention the word time. 
He'll con- use this contrast, which was illustrated in the song we just heard. You know, time to do this, a time to do this, a time to do this, a time to do this. It's this uh, manner of phrase they call a merism, where you're comparing this to this, this to this, this to this. And he wants to give you a comprehensive picture. Seven times two, seven the number of perfection. Times two, I'm going to give you the whole realm of life. There is a time for everything. He says in verse 2, a time to give birth, a time to die. Life has this cycle. Again, that song talks about turn, turn, turn. This is the reality. We are caught in this, in this ever-changing cycle of where, where history just continues, 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 continues. And part of that is new children are introduced into the world, and that's a beautiful thing. In 2003, we welcomed our first child, July 17th, into the world. Beautiful sunny day, beautiful little girl. And on November 15th of 2003, I sat at my father's grave and lowered his casket into the ground. And it just hit me, this reality that the teacher here is trying to teach us. There is a time to be born and there is a time to die. He said there's a time to plant and a time to uproot. There's a time to establish things. And, you know, every house I've owned, we've planted trees. It's just what we do. We, we plant trees. And, and sometimes I've, you know, I bought a house, one that was about 12 years old, and, and the guy had planted no trees. And I thought, why wouldn't you have planted some trees? Because then now I'd be enjoying them 12 years later. And here I'm starting from scratch. And I'm, I think everyone should plant trees. But there's a time to plant. But there's a time when that tree is, is getting, you know, it's got bugs on it. It's not growing well. It's got some diseased roots. And you need to just dig that thing up and throw it away. There's a time to uproot. You'll notice we used to have trees out here. Some of them were living. Some of them were dead. We began to cut down the dead ones, and then we're like, ooh, it's still looking pretty scraggly. So pretty soon it was like, let's cut them all down. Oof, it was gone. Now you can actually see the church when you drive by. There's a time to uproot. He says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. And I, I think of this in terms of the, you know, my experience as a, as a chicken farmer. <laughs> I had one chicken who was coming to the point where she was ready to lay eggs, and, and I found this chicken in distress. Uh, she was trying to lay an egg. I think that was too big for what needed to come out. And so her, her, you know, her whole, it was just a mess. It was impossible to, to fix. And so I, the humane thing to do was to just take her out of her misery. That's what the farmer's reality. You sometimes have to do that. You know, horse breaks its leg, and while well, you get out the Whatever it is, and you humanely, you know, euthanize the horse, you know. But, but there's a time to heal, too. I had one chicken this year. I apologize for the chicken stories. That's just my experience. But she had a leg. It was like, you know, gimpy. And, of course, chickens are kind of like humans. When someone's gimpy, then everyone picks on that gimpy one, right? You know, and, except for Christians. We don't do that, right? But, but you know, you know, you know. The, so I took this chicken, I put her in her own little place, and I gave her food and water. I'm like, let's see what happens to this chicken. Well, no one was picking on her, no one was bugging her on her, no one was jumping on her. And lo and behold, now that thing starts limping around, and you can call her hobble along, and now she's back with her, her friends, and she's okay. But I, there was a time to heal. There's a time to tear down and a time to build. There's a time when, when you can rebuild and renovate. There's a time when you're like, this is not worth renovating this. Let's just get rid of it and, and rebuild it from scratch. And you, and, and you have to decide. And that's, that's where you know, wisdom comes into play. You know, this is a good time to rebuild. This is a good time to just tear it down and burn it up. There is a time to weep and a time 
to laugh. And now he's getting into the emotional realm. Now, there are appropriate occasions for laughter, and there's an appropriate occasions for, for tears, and you don't want to get those two mixed up. I mean, sometimes you can do both, but you know, if it's a joyous moment, you're at someone's wedding, you're celebrating, but you're weeping because you're still single, or, or your marriage didn't work out, well, that's not the time to weep. Go home and weep. Go to your car and weep, but you know, celebrate with the bride and groom. You know what I'm saying, right? And you're in a, in a very somber moment. That's not the time to laugh. You know, we used to, as young Bible college students, sit in the chapel, and someone would do something funny or weird noises and other things you shouldn't be doing in chapel and we'd start snickering and and there was an old lady and she would just stare at us like what are you guys doing over there you know and it wasn't the time to laugh it was the time for somber seriousness there's a time to mourn and a time to dance and this is taking the emotion into the communal setting there's a time when you need to just sit with those who are grieving and grieve with them in the ancient near east this was a common practice i mean when someone died, everyone stopped what they were doing, went to the family. It was a, a communal mourning. Everyone just was involved. Now it's like, you know, can I take off two hours for a funeral? Well, I don't know about that. You know, was it your mother? Was it your wife or your husband? Well, maybe, you know, maybe not, you know, but not if it's just your friend or someone from your church. Forget it. Take holiday time, you know, but, you know, in the old days, I mean, everyone shut down. The shops closed down. The banks shut down. Everyone was there and present for the time of mourning. Let me tell you, if you see a hearse, you're on the street, take off your hat. Show some respect in that moment. I've seen people cut off, I've, you know, often ride in, in, you know, in the front of, of a procession. I've seen people cut, them, cut us off and run through and try to, you know, like, it's just amazing. I mean, there's just an absolute disregard. But he said, there's a time to mourn, to just be present with those who are, are experiencing loss. But there's also a time to dance. Some of the old Baptists didn't really like this verse. They changed that to some you know, action songs or whatever it is. But, but there's a time to dance. There's a time to enjoy, to celebrate. Kick up your heels and say, yeah. There's a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. This could have several meanings. And this is the thing with Hebrew language. Sometimes you're guessing, well, what is, what is he getting at here? And, and maybe he's alluding to several different things. But oftentimes when a a neighboring army would conquer a, a, a neighboring area. They would, they would come, and all the soldiers would grab a stone. And as they walked across the fields, they would drop these stones. And so they'd leave behind this memory of their invasion. Here you go. See you later. Have fun picking rocks for the next 10 years. Ha, ha, ha. You know, there's a time to, to pick stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to avoid embracing. There's also potentially a, a, a reference to, to pleasure there and to, to the sensual pleasure that we experience in a marriage. He's like, there's time to, to enjoy marriage pleasures, there's time to not enjoy marriage pleasures. And, and you can interpret that however you like, but he's like, look, there's just seasons and moments, and we live in these ups and downs and ins and outs of life, and this is the, the cycle that we find ourselves in. There's a time to search and a time to count as lost. There's a time, you know, some of you understand this, you've You've looked and 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 you have not found that thing. And so you, you call the, you know, your wallet's lost. And so you call the, you know, Visa and MasterCard, please cancel my card, you know. And then, you, then later on, you know, a week later you found it, you know, that wallet hidden underneath a pillow or something. You know, oh, I forgot to put it there. There's a time to give up. There's a time to, to keep looking. One of my friends, uh, and dear colleagues in ministry, uh, had, had a hobby of, of metal, metal detecting. And he has this equipment and He's actually online, so if you live in his area, he'll, 
and you lose something, you can call them up and be like, hey, I lost a wren. And my friend Paul will go, and he'll do this, like, investigative thing. Okay, well, where were you? Where were you working? What were you doing? You know, and, and he'll go through. And he's found rings in eight feet of water sifting through the sand at the bottom of a lake by, next to a dock. He's found rings in piles of leaves on the edge of a yard. I mean, it's amazing. He's got like 60 stories of, of rings that he's found. There's a, see, people gave up, but they said, well, let's, let's one more chance. Let's call this guy on this ring finder or whatever. And lo and behold, you know, he goes in and he, he's got these wonderful stories. There's a time to give up, but there's a time to keep looking. There's a time to keep and a time to throw away. Some of you guys should be elbowing your spouse at this point, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, you, obviously the people that are on that show hoarders haven't read this verse, right? <laughs> There's a time to clear out stuff, right? And every time I help someone move, except with the case of, of Pastor Frank, he did not have anything extra. He just had what he needed for life, him and him and Sherry. So it was an easy move. But there's times when, when I move people and move myself, and I wonder, why am I moving this? Because some year down the road, I may need that hose or that coupling or whatever it is in that box. And, you know, you got to just sometimes throw away. My father grew up, was born in the Depression, so he kept things. Because, you know, on the farm, that's what you did. You had a nail and a lean-to next to the barn where hung belts for different machinery. So this time of year, when that belt went on the swather, you could say, hey, Mike, run back to the farm in the lean-to, six rafters down, there's a big nail, and you're going to find a belt there. And sure enough, it's there, and you get it on. You know, and, and that's, you know, just in case that particular situation happens, you know, that was before they had hot shots and internet and, you know, mobile people that brought you, brought you equipment and stuff onto your field. I mean, you know, that's what farmers did. They kept stuff around. Keep that alternator. We might need it someday, or that, you know, all that distributor cap and all, you know, all these things. And, and then there's reality as there is a time just to get rid of it. Throw it time to tear and a time to sew. Time to rip something up into rags and a time to fix it and, and kind of repurpose it for another, another day, another season of, of service. It's a time to be silent and a time to speak. And wisdom is, the, is what knows the difference. Unwise people speak at the wrong time and are silent when they should be speaking. But wise people know that there's a right time to speak and there's a, a wrong time to speak. There's a time when you're just wasting your, your words. Another time when, 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 when it's the appropriate time to speak up. I wish that our political people knew this verse. It wouldn't be so painful watching debates. You know, like, like just shut up and let the guy speak. You know, let it, it's not your turn, you know. And the, you know, I, I think they should put politicians into these, like, boxes like they used to put drums in, you know, for at churches. Plexiglass boxes, right, and with microphones. And the moderator just presses mute. Okay, boop. So you see the guy... You know, oh, it's not your turn to speak yet, you know, and then you, okay, mute, you know, three minutes, and then when, when you hit three minutes, you have the clock tick, 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 and then just press mute, you know, oh, and then all of a sudden they're, they're yapping away, oh, well, I don't know what they're saying, okay, your turn, you know, and I mean, simple process of debate, if you ever were in a debate club, you know how it works, you get three minutes, you rebut for three minutes, you have a one minute chance to, to offer your final statement, and then you get to say the final statement, I mean, it's really simple, but in our world, we think that we have the right to speak anytime we like. Sometimes you need to use your right to be silent <laughs> and you need to speak up when, when, it's, when it's right in, in an appropriate way. And that's, again, where wisdom comes into play. Um, you know, in your, in your relationships, 
there's a time when maybe all you need to say is, I need time to think about this, but we will talk about it in one hour in this place. But right now, I just need to get my thoughts together before I say something to you. And so you just set that time. But, but there is a time to speak, but there's a time to be silent. There's a time to love and a time to hate. And you're like, ooh, this is, seems like, is there ever a right time to hate? There are things we need to hate. We should hate abuse. We should hate prejudice. Every time I watch a movie where there's people getting, you know, treated poorly because of their race, it just brings up a, it's like, oh, I can't, I can't handle it. I don't even like to watch it. We should hate it. We should hate people that destroy other people's property without care for, for, for them and for, for the people involved. We, we, we shouldn't like that stuff. But there's a time to love as well. It's a time for war and a time for peace, and, and this is a hard reality. I know the, the pacifists struggled with this verse, you know, and even movies quote this, you know, you've got these Quakers, and they're, you know, they're not fighting back, not fighting back, and finally they're like, well, you know, this is, remember what the Bible says, a time for war, and then, you know, pick up their sickles and start fighting, you know, and, and this, what he's saying is there are seasons and times in history when, when it was necessary. And we today are worshiping in freedom because a whole generation, two generations ago fought from our soil, in foreign places, so that freedom could exist and, and, and thrive. And, and God worked through that. But it's not glorious. But it's a reality. In the ancient Near East, this was the reality. People were always fighting. Constantly. Yeah, one group conquers another group, another group conquers another group, another group. I mean, that's the way it was. It was a bloodbath. Generation after generation after generation after generation. That's the way it was. And then... He says in verse 9, what does the worker gain from his struggle? That's a, it's a question that, that really is demanding a negative answer. Nothing. All the effort you put into life, what, what is the advantage? What is the profit? Nothing. Maybe he feels like a guy named Leonard Wolfe. He lived from 1880 to 1969. He was the husband of novelist Virginia Woolf. He was a British publisher, political theorist. He wrote over 20 books on literature, politics, and economics. He reflects on his life and work. This is his reflection on his life and work. I see clearly that I have achieved practically nothing. The world today and the history of human anthill during the past five to seven years would be exactly the same as if I had played ping pong instead of sitting on committees and writing books and memoranda. I have therefore to make a rather ignominious confession that I must have in a long life ground through between 150,000 and 200,000 of hours of perfectly useless work. What a horrible thought. He says in verse 10, I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. I've seen the toil that he's given to human, humankind that just keeps them busy in, 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 their, in their life. And he says, he has made everything appropriate or it could be translated beautiful in its time. That, that there is a time for, for, for every activity, every occasion. There, there are moments, and this is just the reality. And, and, and it's within God's sovereign purpose that he, he, he just dictates and, and orders things according to his timetable. And he says, he has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has from done from beginning to end. This would be perhaps one of the most difficult verses to translate in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. 
But what he's saying is, you and I are hardwired for more than temporal life. As creatures created in the image of God, we have this eternal motherboard inside of our hearts. That's, that's wired to, to see life more than just from a temporary situation, but, but we long for more because we're created for eternity. Your dog is not created for eternity. My chickens are not created for eternity. The fish, all your dear pets that you have, your parrot, whatever it is, they don't think like that. They don't feel like that because they weren't created for eternity like we are. The capacity for relationship and for relationship with God sets us apart from the rest of creation. This is the eternal gene that that dwells in our heart and, and makes us long for more and for meaning and for significance in life. But we struggle because we cannot seem to find the answers to everything that we face in life. You've had those questions. If you don't, you will have those questions. What is this all about? What is the purpose of this? Why did this happen? Why would God allow that to happen? And we've all had those questions. Circumstances and situations occur to us and happen around us, and we're like, that's not fair, that's not right, that that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, yes, this is the eternal gene that you have in your heart that says, I want to figure this out, and God says, I've got to figure it out, and you need to trust me. No one can discover the work that God has done from beginning to end. And so now he puts us sort of all flat on our back, helpless, vulnerable, unable to respond. He's down, we're down for the count. One, two, three, like it's over. And then he gives us another one of these little breaths. Verse 12. I know there is nothing better. <laughs> nothing better? You just, you just held us down. We we're like, we're going under. And he's like, there is nothing better than for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. Quit trying to figure everything out in life. You can try, but it's like just enjoy life. Rejoice and enjoy the good life. None of you will ever figure out this COVID thing. I'm just telling you right now, don't even try doesn't matter who you watch on TV. No one's figuring this out. Only God knows what's going on with this whole thing. So forget wasting your time worrying about this, mask, no mask. Like, why? Get about it. Get back to God. I mean, wear your mask, whatever. That's fine. Who cares? We're focused here on God. We're not focused on masks, on COVID, on you know, government agendas and secret societies. And who cares? God is God, and he's going to get his plan accomplished no matter what. Right. So here it is, verse 3. Verse 13, it's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts, or her efforts. You know, sometimes one of the nicest things is I sit on my Adirondack chair, what they call those things, on my deck with my wife, with my coffee, and we sit and we look at a field with nothing in it except maybe a bird flying around here or there, and it's just like, wow, the moment is just nice. And I was like, just stop for a moment. Let's just enjoy what I've given you and, and the relationship we have. Cease striving and know that, that I am God. Augustine, famous church father who had a, a ignominious history in his early days of immorality 
day and running away from God, finally had that encounter with God and turned his life towards him. But he says in his confessions, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Until it finds its rest in you. He says in verse 14, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of Him, will fear Him, then your translation says. The idea is being in an accountable relationship with God. It's the life of faith. It's called fearing God. It appears through all the wisdom literature. It's the concept of, of walking in this accountable relationship with God. It's a relationship. It's a connection. It's moving up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. He said, this is what it's all about. None of us can figure life out, but when we come to God, we discover that He has it figured out, and so we just walk in this submissive, surrendered relationship with Him where we just entrust everything that happens to Him. So if I die of COVID, great, I get to be with God. Who cares, right? I mean, that, that, that's greater, that's more glorious than staying here. Life and death, your jobs you have, money in your bank account, none of that stuff is significant as knowing God and walking with Him. He says in verse 15, whatever is, has already been, whatever will be, already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecutor, or God seeks what is pursued. God takes care of those things beyond human grasp, is literally what that verse means. He takes care of those things beyond human grasp. Timing is everything. The problem is, you and I are trying to manage our own time without including God in the picture. And that's where you will always feel too busy, frenzied, like you don't have enough time. I mean, back in the day, when I was a kid, people volunteered every Sunday in church. You were a Sunday school teacher, you taught 48 weeks of the year. And you didn't think about it. And now it's struggle to get someone to commit to once a month. I mean, we have some everyday people here, and that's awesome. I'm just saying, I don't know, like, we have all these time-saving devices, but now we have less time. And churches have felt awkward asking people to serve, and I, I'm just telling you, if you want to move up and out with us, we're going to keep battling you. Because if you're sitting there doing nothing, you're not moving up and out with God. If you're not invested in a relationship, you're not moving up and out with God. And so, you got this thing on your on your. On your on your chair. It's called a timeline. Sometimes we preach sermons and we just kind of, you guys go home and you just go back to life and you watch baseball and you watch your favorite reality show and you, you garden and you play with your dog, whatever you do, but you just sort of forget about the sermon. So I'm giving you an opportunity not to forget about the sermon. Now, you don't have to do this, but I'm just saying if you would like to say, I want to take this further, you can take a timeline of this book. You have 168 hours that God has given you this week. And I would like you to just keep track of what you did with that time. You see, I've given you several categories. There's a sleep category. And what I'm saying is these are important things that happen in your life. You should sleep. I remember as, as a young college student, I was trying to accomplish so many things. And I was sitting with my mentor and two of my friends who were in this mentorship group. And I was like, you know, if only we didn't have to sleep. We get so much done. And, and my mentor looks at me and he says, I like sleep. <laughs> and you know, it just kind of hit me. I was like, oh, that's not a very spiritual thing to say. But now, as an older man, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I like sleep. I need sleep. And when I cut my sleep down, I pay the price. How many of you, like me, 
Have you ever hauled in time and your body crashes? You get a cold, you get an infection, you get, and you're like, what happened? I'm on holiday and I'm sick. It's because your body's catching up. He's like, you robbed me for the last month, couple months, now I'm getting it back. Ha ha ha, you know? And you're coughing and you're hacking and you're sniffling. It's because you didn't do what you needed to do. I have a category called God time. Now, do you have God time? Do you spend time in God's Word? Do you pray? And you can accumulate that however you want, but God time. I mean, it's a broad category, but it's a specific time that you're saying, this is how I cultivate my relationship with God. Read the Bible. I listen to sermons, I'm worshiping, listening to worship music, singing along, whatever that is. Work. I mean, you, need, you need a job, you should work. So you should count your work time. If you're a student, list the time you spend at school in this category. I put screen time on there. You're watching TV, you're on your computer, you're on your iPad, you're on your phone. Your phone will calculate this for you. Um, I would suggest to you that most people spend more time on their screen than they do at church or the church. Exercise, the time you spend developing your physical fitness. If done with someone else, this can also be counted as friend or family time. Meals, the time spent in eating. If done with family or friends, can be counted in both places. So here's the key. You can maximize time and actually gain time in your schedule if when you're eating, you're doing it with someone else. So yeah, I'm eating, but I'm also having time with my family. I'm having time with my friends. And it's like you double the time. If you're working out, but you do it with your kids or with your wife or your husband or your friends, you're not only doing exercise, but you're also doing friend time. So you can double that time. So actually, in the end, you might have 190, 200 hours because you maximize the specific opportunities with the time God has given you. Friend time. Intentional time invested with friends. This is not two of you sitting playing Call of Duty on the TV. That's not friend time. Doesn't count. Uh-uh. No video time allowed here. That comes from the screen time. Friend time is like, you're actually talking. You know, like, I, I always struggle with that. People are like, hey, let's hang out. Let's watch a movie. You're not hanging out. You're watching a movie. That's not friend time. Friend time is actually movie when you sit down and talk about life together. So, friend time is meaningful conversation, interaction around a game. That's fine, but not in front of a screen. Family time, same thing. Life. It's a, it's a messy category. We just have life, right? I had to go to SGI. I had to go to the registry. I had to go to the bank. I mean, life. It's okay to have life. Other. Maybe there's something you got. You can add to that, but just make sure you, you qualify it. And then I'm saying, WT, wasted time. This is an honest assessment saying, okay. There were two hours of my day that I wasted. And I don't know what that is, but maybe you're categorizing something else, but that was lost. Now, this is up to you. I'm not forcing anyone. You're not, you don't have to hand this in to me. This is for your own benefit. So you flip it over and say, you know, how much time did I spend last week? And then you look, you know, what surprised me? And what would I change about next week? And maybe you do this with your spouse, with a close friend, with, with a, someone you know you're accountable to or whatever. I mean, I, I don't need to see these. You don't have to hand these in to me. This, this is just for your own eyes or whoever you want to see. But I'm just saying, God gives us a week. Every week. Every, you know, 160 hours, 8 hours, every week. To, to live life. And I think there's a lot of time in that cycle that we throw up. You may be surprised with how your time is going. And I think Solomon, very clearly in Ecclesiastes 3, is saying, you have control over this. You make the decisions where you spend your time. You turn on the TV. You pick up your phone. You sit down in front of the video game console. You log into Facebook. 
You're on Amazon or Kijiji looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. Now, understand, that's not wrong in and of itself, but, but we need to say, God, God, what do you want to do with the time that you've given? That's what God kind of say. You start your day and you say, Lord, how will you use the day that you give me today for your glory? Some of you may discover that I need more friends in my life. I, I don't spend much time with my family. You're single, you might say, okay, I need to find some more relationships, some more involvements where I can be more connected. That's why we have Pastor Frank here. He's going to help you guys get connected and grow together and build meaningful relationships so that every one of you has a 3 a.m. friend, at least one of them. So if something happens in your life, you can wake someone up, get them out of bed, they crawl out of bed and drive to your house and then ruin the next day and be exhausted because they love you that much. Everyone in this church should have a friend like that. But some of you are saying, I don't know who I call. Shouldn't be that way. That's our goal here. To move up and out a new life in Jesus Christ. Part of that is redeeming the time that God has given us. I hate calling for volunteers all the time, but I'm just telling you, probably the most meaningful thing you can do on a Sunday morning is downstairs. Or serving up here. Or serving as a greeter. Or helping in, in a service capacity. I and mean, we have opportunities, but like, man, an asking in kids. That will reap a huge dividend. I'm here today because there were ladies and men that invested in me in my own church. You could do a lasting impact for eternity by helping the nursery, toddler room, kid two, three to six, and our youth ministry and the process that you go through to do that. But I would suggest to you that God wants to use your time and your day for his glory. And so if you'd like to, I leave it to you. It's up to you. If you're like, oh, forget it, I'm good, I'm, I'm fine. And, you know, if you feel like, you know, that you've got something to control, that's fine. But I'm just saying, for those of you that would like to, and I would challenge you to, figure out where you're spending your time. And then say, you know, what would I change? If Jesus was here, what would he suggest that I change in my schedule? And you might be surprised by what And so as we come to the close, I just invite you to, to just pray with the best example of this, of course, was Jesus Christ himself, who died on the cross once again. He had three years to accomplish the most significant thing in the whole world history. And in fact, in three days, he died for sins and he rose again. And we walk in the light because of what Jesus has done for us. And so as we take this, this into consideration, because we want to follow the example of Jesus and learn from him and, and, and make our life count in the time God has given us for his if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to receive him as your Savior today. Now, Father, I thank you for your word. And I know everyone here is at a different season in life. Everyone in this room can resonate with a different portion of, the, of this poem in verses 1 to 8. Some are laughing, some are crying, some are mourning, some are dancing. Some feel hate, some feel love. Some are uprooting, some are planting. Lord, in each and every cycle and season of our life, we want to honor and glorify you. You are the eternal God. You transcend time. And yet you place within us this desire and longing for eternity because we know that when we know you, we will live with you forever. And so, Lord, may we make our days and hours count for you. Be glorified in our lives.